Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church Podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. We're hoping you enjoy this episode. Um, This is another episode of just a recording from my remarks during worship. And uh, this week I was feeling pretty low. I had gotten some disease that really knocked me out all week. Uh, It wasn't COVID. It wasn't cardiovascular. It was, uh, well, no, no disease is fun, but I was not having fun any of this last week. I needed to sit during worship this week. I was not feeling good, but uh, I still love leading worship. I still love talking about the Lord, and everybody was really gracious with me. Um, we picked up in Job where he is talking about wanting to be able to speak to God face-to-face and make his case, and uh, we talked about those sentiments around uh, seeming injustice in life, uh, particularly in light of suffering. And then uh, we covered Psalm 22, which also deals with great suffering and uh figuring out God's location and all of that and whether or not he is estranged from us, far from us, or if he's right with us as we're going through it. Um, then uh, the, the closing uh, message deals with our relationship with money and stuff and um, kind of surprising language from Jesus around how if we follow him, we actually get more stuff in this life and in the life to come. Didn't even talk about the persecution bit in there, although that would have been an easy overlap. And then, of course, there's uh, we're still reading from Hebrews together as well. So uh, nothing amazingly insightful. Um, the, the, the thing I'm always trying to do here is just lay a firm foundation for people so as they come to their Bibles at home, Uh, It connects to things that they're encountering in the pews while we're here. So hopefully what you find here is just solid biblical doctrine um, and some practical ways of looking at our own suffering and the challenges of life so that we don't fall away as things get difficult. So anyway, this is all uh, eminently practical and hopefully biblically faithful, and I hope it's a blessing to you. In preparation for our first reading, I'd remind everybody our four readings that we do each week are not selected by this church. They were selected long ago by a revised common lectionary committee. Sometimes all four readings have a lot of clear overlap. Sometimes they don't. There's always an Old Testament reading, Psalm, New Testament reading, Gospel reading. Today we pick up in Job once again. Last week we did the first two chapters of Job where uh, Satan and God make a bargain about whether or not Job's worship of the Lord is contingent upon the Lord blessing Job. And so in two different spells, Satan strips away a series of blessings from Job, including his personal health. When we last saw him, he was covered in boils and blisters all over his body, oozing blisters. The, he, he scraped himself with shards. Uh, potsherds, and um, the dogs would come and lick up the ooze from his nasty body. This is the state to which he's, all all the Lord has left him. He took away all his livestock and and wealth and even his children. He had wonderful children. All he's left is a wife who is very bitter, whom he doesn't seem to like very much. Um, So he's in in a miserable state. What happened after that is he had three friends show up who time and time again are preaching at him, There's something you did to deserve it. 
There's something you did to deserve it. And the way the story is told is Job did not deserve it. It says it on, on, in the first chapter, says it in the last chapter. It says it all throughout. Job did not deserve it. The point here is not Job deserved it. God is always just the way we think of as just. Um, but it does have a lot to do with suffering. What do we do with suffering? How do we live with suffering? What does our relationship with the Lord look like in the midst of suffering? So with that in mind, we're going to have our first reader is going to read um, just a, a chapter where Job is speaking about his disposition in the midst of suffering. Good morning. Good morning. Our first reading is from Job chapter 23, verses 1 through 17, which begins on page 813 in your pew Bibles. Listen to the word of God. Then Job replied, even today my complaint is bitter. His hand is heavy in spite of my groaning. If only I knew where to find him, if only I could go to his dwelling, I would state my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would find out what he would answer me and consider what he would say to me. Would he vigorously oppose me? No, he would not press charges against me. There the upright can establish their innocence before him, and there I would be delivered forever from my judge. But if I go to the east, he's not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he is at work in the north, I do not see him, and when he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. But he knows the way I, that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. My feet have closely followed his steps. I have kept to the way without turning aside. I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. But he stands alone, and who can oppose him? He does whatever he pleases. He carries out his decree against me, and many such plans he still has in store. That is why I am terrified before him. When I think of all this, I fear him. God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me. Yet I am not silenced by the darkness, by the thick darkness that covers my face. The word of the God. Thanks, Thanks be, to, be God. to God. So when Job says um, in verse, verses 10 through 12, he talks about how much he loves the law of the Lord. My feet have closely followed his steps. This is verse 12. I have kept to his way without turning aside. I have not departed from the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. Are these, is he lying? He is not lying. Are these bad things that he has done? These are very good things. These are things that your preacher week after week is telling you, hey, you guys should do these things. These are really important things. This is an important way to live. So what, jo what Job is saying here is, I've been living the right way. I've been doing the right things, and yet God has allowed this terrible punishment to come upon me. And so this chapter begins with him saying, I just need to go find God and talk to him because I don't know where he is. I go to the west, he's not there. His judgment seat is not set up in a place that I can access, but if I could just talk to him, he would hear me, and he would change the course of my life. And so there are differences between Job and us. Job is an ancient Jew. We are Christians. We have a different relationship with God than the ancient Jews did, primarily in that we do have access directly to God through the power of the Holy Spirit. They did not. That's what they needed the whole priest, priesthood, temple thing for. But Job is in the far east, he is way away from the temple. He does not have access to God. He is feeling cut off from God. God has 
cut him off from afar. He is suffering unworthily, and he's going, I've got to find a way to talk to this guy. I've got to appeal to the judge. You know, I have been wronged here. And this is something that I think that a lot of us can really identify with, though. Even if we know hypothetically we have direct access to the Father through the Holy Spirit, a lot of times we find ourselves going through something where we're just going, this isn't adding up. I don't know why I'm going through this. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm doing, I'm doing the, all the things I'm supposed to be doing. I'm staying away from the bad things. I'm doing the good. Th- why am I going through this? This doesn't make any sense to me. Can someone please explain it? Job, throughout this book, he's got his buddies showing up, his buddies showing up, talking about how evil he is, how he deserves every bad thing going, going to him. And each time he refuses to be silent. And at the end of this thing, he says, Yet I am not silenced by the darkness, by the thick darkness that covers my face. It's only at the very end, whenever he does get to speak with God face to face, and God still doesn't answer his question. God just says, oh, you think you're wise enough to question me, huh? Where were you when I created everything? Where were you whenever I uh, defeated the forces of darkness? You know, what? And finally, Job is silenced by God's, God's greatness. In the end, God doesn't even make the case for his own goodness or his own justice. He is God. He doesn't need to make the case to us. And that's where I think we have to continually bring ourselves as people because we have this clear sense of justice in us, don't we? I remember every time I went to visit the guys in the jail, guys that knew they'd done wrong, they were still, almost every single one of them, twisted up about something a cop did along the way, something that uh, an official did along the way that, you know what, they shouldn't have done that. I'm being oppressed by an unjust justice system. We need to throw out this system. And there are, you better believe there are a lot of people like this with the church, with God, who they don't like the way things have been done. They don't like the way this all adds up. You know what? The system's rigged. Let's throw it out. That's just a, me- a recipe for misery. The good news, you know, Jesus came proclaiming this, this day of the Lord that's coming. And this is a day where everything that's hidden will be revealed. And we will finally all understand, we'll see very clearly why everything unfolded the way it did, has. And where we, our suffering fit into that. And that everything that seemed so pointless and purposeless, none of, us, none of it actually was. That all of this is tied to something with great meaning and that our lives have huge meaning. And sometimes the things that we thought were so evil and bad were actually good. And sometimes the things we thought were good were actually evil. We have to be praying for that discernment. You know, that's what Job is, is praying for here. He just wants God's audience so that he would just know how to feel and what to do. But the reality is Job didn't need God's audience, did he? He was already righteous, and he was doing what was right. He was. And he persisted through the suffering, and because of that, Job maintains his righteousness all throughout. We feel sorry for the guy because he maintains his righteousness, and he never falters on that. And so the thing that we're fighting for is, do we have suffering in our lives, me and you? It doesn't matter if it compares to Job. Yes, we have suffering in our lives. And, and whether you're rich or poor or healthy or unhealthy, I mean, we all go through suffering. And then the question is, do we feel sorry for ourselves? And do we give up? And do we just give in? Or do we maintain our integrity and, and then look forward to meeting God on the last day who will show us everything. And the, re, the, the place where we need to be is with Job, where we're, we maintain our integrity. And I don't think there's anything wrong with going, 
I am really looking forward to understanding why I'm going through this right now because it makes no sense to me. But just remember that the example of Job, who didn't even have Jesus, he was able to maintain his integrity, and so should we. Continue having questions. Continue speaking. Continue shrugging but looking for answers, but never, continue, never cease continuing. Never stop seeking God and his righteousness. Let's look at our psalm. So this psalm starts off where Job is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which, of course, who else said these words in the Bible? Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, some people look at that as Jesus being really down in the dumps, and he was down in the dumps. He was not up there, you know, singing show tunes. You know, he was not happy to be up on the cross. He prayed uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane. We have his moment there in the, 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 the second window. He prayed, Lord, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. But when his time came, he suffered on the cross, and of the words that came out of his mouth, which were few, some were, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then many of the prophecies of this psalm were fulfilled. Um, let's see, uh, many bulls encompass me. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. Um, it talks about his hands and his feet being pierced. Yeah, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Uh, verse 24, no, verse 18 they divide my garments among them, and for my raiment they cast lots. These are all things that happened during Jesus' crucifixion that clearly were prophecy being lived out in him. Um, but the, does it end in a nasty place? No, it doesn't. The last portion is all about how the Lord will resurrect him, and he will live in God's presence forever, that, that the nations will come and worship before the Lord, and every, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord is the thing that we were singing over and over there, that God will be glorified and he will be revealed as, as um, having protected his people and having been powerful and, and glorified. So what does this have to do with Job and what does it have to do with us? I have, I have a little bit of an answer. and what It has to do with, um, a lot of you know this about me and Sarah Beth, but uh, we're kind of crunchy parents, I guess. We, we lean kind of right in some ways and we lean kind of, typical left in some ways were kind of hippies and one of the things that I, I just wanted to be really present as a father and then that means like being there during the childbirth and man am I there during the childbirth we have a midwife and we deliver in like a home setting like a living room and uh, we've been through this three times it's pretty intense um, but uh, there's this thing that happens naturally when a woman gives birth and yes I'm going to mansplain women giving birth but um it's this great ordeal where a woman's body, a lot of y'all know about this firsthand, just does something that it never, ever does. And it's so intense, and it's very anxiety-producing, very traumatizing. And, it, uh, you know, some women get real lucky, and it's just not very long at all. But some women, Sarah Beth has not been lucky. These things go on forever. With all three children, I've gone into the bathroom at one point and looked in the mirror and going, am I about to lose my wife? Is she going to die? Am I going to lose a child? And all three times, it's been fine. But... With each time, whenever the baby finally comes out, and man, is there a buildup. When, it, when the fi baby finally comes out, the mother's brain is just filled with these feelings of relief, but also deep love and affection for this baby. And I can count on my hand the times that Sarah Beth has been, like, deeply emotional with me. You know, like, 
And I don't mean, to, I love my wife, I'm very happy with my wife, but she's not the type that just grabs me and says, I love you so much, you know? That's just not her, you know? She's just, she's, you know, she gets business done, you know? Which makes it really meaningful. But, but uh, you know, she also doesn't grab the kids, she doesn't swaddle them and, oh, I just held you as a little baby and now you've grown up on me. She doesn't do that kind of stuff. But I'll tell you, this last time when Clementine finally came out, you know, right, just so natural, as soon as the baby comes out, there's this, you just got, you have to bring the baby to the, the breast. Not to eat, just to, the baby's been inside growing for nine months. You've wanted to know who this baby is. Who are they, you know? And, and I remember as soon as Clementine came out this last time, Sarah Beth was saying, I love you so much. I love you so much. I, she said it like eight times. I was like, gosh, lady, you're emotional. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I was like, I love you too. But, you know, I was thinking of that in verse 9 here. Yet it was you who took me from the womb, and you kept me safe upon my mother's breast. Upon you I was cast from my birth. And since my mother bore me, you have been my God. And I thought, you know, it felt like it was me and Sarah Beth and Clementine there and the midwives and all this. But it was God who was resting right there as, as Clementine came to rest in Sarah Beth's breast. And it, it's God who gave Clementine to us, who made Clementine and my other two children. Really, he made, you know, sometimes I'll look at my kids and get kind of cocky. And I'll be like, I made you. <laughs> but I didn't make my kids. God made my kids. And he gave my kids to me. And he gave your kids to you. And our children are going to suffer as we've suffered. Uh, many of us know what it's like to have a child suffer. But suffering doesn't ruin life. Suffering can make life a lot richer. Suffering can prove God's presence in our lives as we bring God with us through the valley of the shadow of death. We have a really warped sense of suffering is what I'm saying. We often look at suffering like it, it indicates that God isn't with us. That's not the case. God has been with us. Well, let, let's think about labor again. Is, is child labor suffering? Moms, is child labor suffering? Yeah. Oh my gosh, is it suffering? Does that mean it's unevil and unholy and God isn't with you? Quite the opposite. And that's how it is in life. It's not just childbirth. There are lots of suffering, a lot of nastiness, a lot of loss, a lot of trauma. We can be damaged by it. There are some women who go through childbirth and they're quite damaged by it, psychologically, emotionally. And I, I don't want to cast aspersions at any of them, but I am saying life puts us all through times of great anxiety and trauma it's a decision we've got to make as to what we're going to do about it, how we're going to live with that on the, through that and then on the other side of it. And we ought to remember Christ is with us all the way through, and he stands on the other side to redeem all of it with us. Let's look at our, uh, our Hebrews reading. This one is on the word of God and then uh, the character of Christ, who is the word made flesh. This is one of my favorite readings in the Bible, so I don't want to give any setup for that beyond what I already have. Thanks, Dave. Our third reading is from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 16, which begins on page 1864 in your pew Bibles. Listen again to the Word of God. For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges, judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered 
and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive the mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. So all, th all these things are connected. And there's a purpose to all of them. We need help in our time of need, do we not? And that prayer that Jesus taught us, we say, and, and save us from the time of trial, right? The time of trial comes, we have times of need. And uh, our faith is not meant to be practical. It's not like this is a field guide for... Um, I heard somebody call the Bible an acronym one time, B-I-B-L-E stands for Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. And I just hated that from the first time I heard it because if you've ever read the Bible, are those basic instructions? There's nothing about it that's basic, all right? So the very first word is wrong. Um, plus, we don't leave earth. There's a new heaven and a new earth, and we live on it, whatever. So the whole thing here is... There is a lot of practical stuff in the Bible. It's not all supposed to be eminently practical. Some of it's esoteric, some of it's wisdom stuff. But here, we have times of trial, and we need to make it through, and what is it that helps us? And so, you know, working backwards from here, it says uh, we need to hold fast to this faith that we've received, okay? Faith is something that God gives us, not that we naturally have. God gives it to us, and we need to hold on to it, okay? Um, and then working back from there, it goes all the way to the Word of God. Now, what does the Word of God have to do with faith? Isn't it God who gives us faith, or is it the Word that gives us faith? And the answer is, God gives it to us, but just because we have it doesn't mean we know what it is. It's the Word of God that tells us the nature of true faith. Now, the Word of God isn't just the Bible, but it is the Bible. The Word made flesh was Jesus the word came upon the prophets of old and revealed God's uh, revelations to us. But the most reliable testimony that we have access to into this, in this life as to who God is and who he wants us to be is, yes, you guessed it, the Bible. The word of God is alive and active. We look at this book like it's dead and draconian. It is not. It is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates, penetrates into dividing even soul and spirit. Can you imagine such a thing? Bone and marrow. This is an exact surgical tool for spiritual surgery. That's what the Bible is, and it's to be used for that purpose. We are an amalgamation of sin and salvation that needs to be figured out here and now today. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, we are told in Philippians. That is the work before us. And if we're not to, going to do this work, it is not right to expect that we're going to be able to hold on to this faith. There's work to be done, and God has told you what you need to be equipped, but are you going to read his instructions? That's really the question here. For some reason, there are a lot of people who want to believe that they can follow God, hold on to the faith, and not read the instructions, and that is a fantasy.
Our gospel reading today is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 through 31, which you can find on page 1574 in your pew Bibles. Listen again to the word of God. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. The word of the Lord. So this is a hard teaching because we are uh, relatively rich people living in an extremely rich nation. And so... uh, what do we do about this? Um, when Jesus says it is very hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of God. There are some ways to wiggle out of it, but you kind of know, y'all know that you don't have a very wiggly pastor. I kind of try and let the, the gospel just sit on me. Uh, make sure that, that I'm right with what it says. And, and the reality, if I'm confessing just my own personal walk with God, my reality is I am not right with God whenever it comes to this scripture. I believe I have entirely too much money uh, to consider myself not rich, you know. And I could look at people who are millionaires and billionaires and say, oh, I don't have their money. I'm not rich like them. I'm not rich like, I'm still rich. Still rich. When you, when you look at how me and Sarah Beth live, we live very comfortably. And thank you for paying us the wage that you do. I'm not blaming. I'm not saying, <laughs> don't, don't pay us less, please, you know. We're very happy with what we make, but I'm not saying reduce my salary. But I am saying my relationship with money needs to be corrected by the Holy Spirit. Jesus warned you cannot have two masters. You cannot love both God and money. First Timothy, Paul warns us the love of money is the root of all evil. All right, money, money has great threat to me and you. 
Jesus doesn't want us to give up our money because he wants us to be miserable. He wants us to give it up because it's a great threat to us. When this guy comes to him and says, what must I do? He says, give up your money to the poor. Now let's go to the end of this reading and we'll come back to the giving up our money part. At the end, his disciples are very concerned and they say, we've given up everything for you. And Jesus says, anyone who gives up stuff for me will receive even more stuff in this life. Has anyone ever thought this one through, how we can make sense out of this? How, if you give up all your stuff, how do you get more stuff in this life? What, what's it talking? Is this prosperity gospel here? If you send $10 to this ministry, you'll get $1,000 through a miracle next week. Is that what he's talking about? Huh? In your heart. Okay, so uh, the notion is you give, up, you give a material thing and you re- receive a spiritual blessing. Okay, so that's one. I, actually, I do not hate that interpretation. Is there any way that it can be literally true that you, you give up your material stuff and you receive a great bounty of material stuff? There have been times, let me, let me just, I've worried sometimes, I got a worry brain, that I might lose my job here. And if I lose my job here, I lose my home here because I live in the home owned by the church. And what on earth would happen if all of a sudden Sarah Beth and I were out of a job, we had no place to go, what would happen? And I was thinking about this the other night, because I'm crazy, but um, I, I instantly got comforted because I was like, there are families in both churches that would immediately say, move in with me, guys. We're not gonna leave you high and dry. What's ours is yours, come on in. We don't even need to talk about you leaving. I have no doubt. I'm looking out at some of you and you're going, yep, I'm one of them, you know. I, I'm actually not scared of that at all because I have a spiritual family that would share your stuff with us. And I believe that that's what Jesus is talking about here. Those who give up on themselves and their stuff will receive so much more stuff, more family members. It's not just stuff. Truly, I tell you, no one who has left home or brother, all these will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. I hear Jesus talking about the same kind of currency. I think what he's saying is, well, but here's the thing. When people became Christians in the book of Acts, did they liquidate their assets and give them away? They did, but did they give them to the poor? They gave them to the church, who then dispersed it to those as had need. Jesus is speaking in the context before he has built his church. But what I believe Jesus is talking about here is that we who are wealth are meant to use it in such a way to build up his church that's then a blessing to the poor. There's a directionality to this. But the thing is, when we give it all away, if if we gave all our stuff away to the poor, we would have no social safety net for ourselves. But when we give it to the church, do we have an extended family here that takes care of one another? It's a situation where everybody can be taken care of if we stop clinging to stuff and we trust God and one another to take care of us. And that's the biblical vision. The biblical vision is to live on earth as in heaven. And in heaven, we're not holding on to stuff and being anxious and worried all the time. We're trusting in God and one another. And we're living graciously and, and gladly and thankfully and abundantly. That's the biblical vision. That's what we need to be aiming at together. So there is a threat. But there's also a promise. The threat is... If you hold on to your money, if you hoard and fear and you're greedy, then heaven's probably not going to be the place for you. 
But the promise is, if you can learn to give it up and gladly share and give, then you will inherit so much more than you could have ever saved to begin with. Let's end on that blessing.